Welcome to ADHD Love Parent Talk, episode 71. For me, it's kind of figuring out, like I said, about stripping back, you know, stripping about what exactly do you need, what exactly, you know, but looking at your strength because there's so much focus on ADHD challenges. And there are so many challenges. I'm not going to lie and say that there's not. Every day we're living with ADHD, you know. Well, for me, I say it's a hot mess. You know, like I go through my days and still now after two years of going to coaching therapy, you know, being a coach, I still have days where I have to go back and think, oh my goodness, what is going on? <laughs> what is going on? And I think it really is about giving yourself permission to do things that your own way, learning how and what you need, you know, learning, you know, for instance, as you can see on the wall, I'm very visual. So my calendar cannot be this small book. I have this massive, I mean, it's massive. I've not put it up here for a reason. It's just behind me. This massive calendar. And this is just for my business. And then I have two other calendars because I like to compartmentalize my life. I, you know, learning exactly how you learn. So for instance, I need to take kinesthetic breaks because I have the hyper to the hate. I need to take kinesthetic breaks. We've been talking, I have therapy putty sat right here underneath. Mm -hmm. It's giving yourself permission to use your own strategies and build your own because we can look online, we can look on things, but it's really about looking how you learn, what you need and how you can best support yourself. But the thing is, if you don't give yourself permission to do those things, then no tips, tricks, strategies are going to work. Hello, and welcome to the ADHD Love Parent Talk podcast. If you felt like you have been walking your path alone as an adult with ADHD or as a parent with children with ADHD, you are finally home. I interview parents and professionals, including doctors, coaches, educators, and so much more so you can not only learn more information about ADHD, I also want you to have tools that you can put in your toolbox as you're going through your journey. Hey, my ADHD family, welcome to another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. I am Yakini. So today I have my guest, Tasha. I like to bring people on to talk about their experiences with ADHD, because one of the things that I really want people to know, first of all, that they're not alone, but also since a lot of my audience are parents, I want them to be able to have some tips and tricks as they are working with their own children. So Tasha, welcome. How are you today? (laughs) I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Good. I'm glad we finally connected again. <laughs> Our yeah, are- third time lucky. Yeah, third time lucky. <laughs> That's too funny. All right. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. So hi, everyone. Um, I have to say this is a bit different for me because I'm used to my voice, not the cameras. This is the first ever camera podcast I have. So bear with me. I'm Tasha. I'm 29. I'm from the UK, but now I live in Malaysia three weeks away from moving back to the UK. I live with my partner and my fur babies. I have ADHD and I have many other conditions. I used to be a teacher. Then I was a Senko in a school where I ran my own special needs department for children. And now I'm starting on my new venture of an ADHD life coach. So I'm really excited to be here. I connected with Yakini probably a few months ago and she came on my podcast. So I'm really excited to be here. 
Yeah, and I'm excited to have you. So the truth is, is we have been really connecting for about a year, <laughs> but again, just never <laughs> saw each other's faces, only through direct messages or posts. So it's really exciting, you know, to really talk with you in person. All right. So you talked about you're diagnosed with ADHD. So when were you diagnosed and what type? So I, I'm 29 now. Mm-hmm. Almost 30. Oh my goodness. Sorry. Um, so I was diagnosed at the age of 27. So about two years ago, okay. I was diagnosed with a predominantly combined type. Okay. And then, but then I was then pre re-diagnosed in Malaysia because I didn't like my diagnosis. So I was re-diagnosed uh, the year later. So I've been diagnosed for about two years now. Okay. Okay. So what did you, you said you didn't like your diagnosis? Explain that a little bit. Yeah, I was living in China, so I got diagnosed online. I paid a lot of money, and it was someone in the UK, and I paid a lot of money. It was just not very good. I spent like an hour or 45 minutes an hour on the phone. I filled out a few questionnaires. He was like, yeah, you've got ADHD. But I already kind of, you know, most of us, you know, diagnose ourselves, don't right. we? You know, when we find oh, yeah. that, we kind of know. And I think if I'd not told the doctor <laughs> why thought I'd had I don't think I would have been re-diagnosed so when I moved to Malaysia I found somewhere that I send a lot of my kids to okay so I was re-diagnosed because I just wanted not because I didn't believe it but I just wanted that real detailed I see uh, proper thorough report okay that's fair so what was that tipping point that made you go and get your diagnosis well, I always think there's been many tipping points <laughs> in our lives where it's very up, down, up, down. Yeah. But I think my biggest yeah. one was um, I about two years, well, three years ago, I started to do a master's. I was really bored with my job. I just didn't really like where I was living in China. So I just decided in two days, you know, to do a master's. Why not? You know, it's <laughs> the next thing. Why not just do it? think about all the struggles I had anyway I started to do my master's and then all the struggles of school started to come back up and then I went to a professional like development desk teacher uh, about children with additional needs and they were talking about dyslexia so I already had a diagnosis of dyslexia dyspraxia a younger age and they were talking about dyslexia with uh, ADHD and the lady was going through everything and I it was one of those moments where everybody else in the background just faded out and it, I felt like I was in one of those movies where I was just spotlighted and she was just like giving me this monologue. And I was like, she knows me. <laughs> How does she know all these things about me? And I turned around to my friend and I said, Stop, she, this sounds like me. She was like, yeah, it does. And I was like, what? A week later, I was diagnosed. So the master's got me there. But this professional development day that I wasn't very happy about going to on a Saturday really uh, open my eyes. I've worked yeah. with children before, but I just never connected the dots. Right, right. You know, it's really interesting to hear that because as I shared with you, um, for those who haven't heard this story, but I found out through the journey with my children because the same thing, through research, through setting up, working with the schools to set up accommodations for my children, just seeing all the signs and the symptoms that, that they were portraying. And then on the same time, finding out all these different things on the internet, listening to podcasts, you know, I mean, of course, you know how it goes, right? When we think we have ADHD, <laughs> we just like research like crazy. <laughs> it's like extra, yeah, extra research. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly right. And the bottom line is I'm um, same thing with you. It was like checking the boxes. I mean, in a, but 
for me, it felt so empowering. It felt so good because now I knew what was going on in my brain and why all these things were happening throughout my life. How did you take that diagnosis? I I actually started laughing. (laughs) The guy that when I was first diagnosed, he said to me, he said to me, okay, well, you know, this is a lot to take in. I said, no, this is brilliant. And he was like, what? Then obviously I started crying, but like a good relief cry. He was like, I don't really understand what's going on. And he was like, you know, now is kind of the ADHD. I always say this, like the AD, now is the start of your ADHD journey. And I was like, the start? I was like, I've been, I sort of just got it now. Like I've been living with this for 27 years, but now I know the name and now I know what to do with it. Yes. Like for me, yes. when I was diagnosed with my other co- like coexisting conditions, there were still so many answers that didn't make sense. And getting this, honestly, getting this diagnosis has changed my life and has changed so much about things. So for me, obviously, afterwards, you go through that anger period and you go through that, you know, you go through, I call it like the grief cycle of what my life could have been like, what you know. But for me, it was so relieving, so rewarding because it, it meant that there was a name. It wasn't my fault. And I could learn to live with it rather than spending years and years masking who I was. Mm, that is so powerful. So you're diagnosed with comorbidities. Do you think mm-hmm. that throughout your life, your ADHD, how do I say it? Like truly affected those comorbidities now that you found out later in life that you had ADHD, you know, what did that look like for you? I was diagnosed with anxiety and OCD. Mm. But obviously that was just coping mechanisms for undiagnosed ADHD. You know, I went to the doctor by myself and I said, look, this, I'm really struggling with this, 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 this. And a lot of my coping mechanisms just got out of control, right? Uh, So like I'm very organized for someone with ADHD. That was one of the reasons why a doctor didn't think I had it because I was very organized. But when it back then when I was 15, I was having to overcompensate for all the struggles that I had. So then it became obsessions and then the anxiety came right from having to kind of keep up with everybody else and kind of neurotypical life. So for me, that was kind of underlining ADHD, but just being able to overcompensate. But when I was 21, I was diagnosed with dyslexia and dyspraxia. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was quite eye-opening because I'd always really struggled at school and I'd always found ways like loopholes to get through. Um, and when I was at university in my second year, the lady said to me, are you joking? She gave me my essay back and was like, are you joking? Like, are you like this essay? You can't, this, this is like, you know, like a 14 year old. And this lady was actually the first person that noticed something in me. Um, so I mean, that was, I was, I was thankful that she was very honest and she helped me go and get my dyslexia and dyspraxia kind of diagnosis. But Mm -hmm. for me, it was just never the answer. I mean, it made me feel better and it was like, yes, you know, I've got this, but like the dyslexia and dyspraxia didn't account for the emotions, didn't count for the impulsive, the hyperactive, the masking. It didn't let any of that go. And for me, it wasn't until the ADHD diagnosis that I really, everything connected. There was still so much missing when I was diagnosed with these other conditions. Wow, wow. So what did you put in place? Like what strategies did you learn to really help you deal with all of that? Because you do have a lot of entities playing at the same time. So when I was younger, like, so when it came to like my dyslexia and my dyspraxia, I'm not going to lie, I didn't do a lot. 
Mm. I didn't do a lot of research. I just did enough to get by university. Okay. So I had like a university. This, I mean, England were very good. Like I had a, they gave me a laptop for free. They gave me um, a university tutor. They gave me all these programs on my computer to like, you know, change the screen color mm. and all this sort of stuff. And it was amazing the support that I got when I was, but no one ever taught me what is dyslexia? What is dyspraxia and how does it affect your life? So I just thought it was to do with academics. So then I just got by and then I just didn't really think about it again until I was diagnosed with ADHD. Because when I was a teacher, I didn't have to do that much writing or sitting down or, but especially my my dyspraxia is kind of a coordination disorder. Mm -hmm. You know, I struggled. I, I didn't learn to ride a bike till I was 26 in a random street in Vietnam, as you do. Um, <laughs> random, <laughs> random street in Vietnam where my partner's like, you've got to learn how to ride a bike. It's like, you know, everybody, you can relate. <laughs> so funny. And, you know, like when we used to go on um, caving and diving trips and stuff, I, mm. I, my coordination, I was always the one that needed extra like, aid and help because they, to help me get up things. But for me, until that ADHD diagnosis, I didn't really give myself the big thing I think is permission. I didn't give myself permission to, to put things in place. Cause it was almost like, I didn't feel like I deserved it. You know, I would just always mask and get by. But when I was 27, I was like, I'm not going to get by anymore. I don't want to just get by anymore. Mm, everything is interesting. <laughs> Listening to you. <laughs> Because, I mean, I can relate to it so much. I mean, I can relate to the comorbidity piece. I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression, which to your point, you know, with your anxiety and OCD, it's almost like just a a stepping stone to ADHD, right? So if, because I didn't know I had ADHD, everything was going on all at the same time, the pressure, the tension, you know, there's times where I got sick. I was always anxious, had social anxiety, just, you know, on and on and on. And it wasn't until I understood the ADHD piece and how not knowing I had ADHD affected my anxiety and depression. But what was interesting is when I finally found out and I met with a uh, registered nurse and then my therapist to look at medication and therapy, they suggested for me to really focus on working on the anxiety and depression first, get that under control before doing the stepping stone and working on ADHD. So you said that you had, well, kind of sort of worked on the dyslexia, dyslexia and dyspraxia, right? Okay. So you kind of sort of worked on that. And then also you have this OCD and anxiety. What did you work on first? Like (laughs) what were the order of things or did you just try to do it all at the same time? (laughs) When I was 15, I went through quite a lot of CBT therapy because it was quite a very dark place for me. Mm. So I I had a lot of talk therapy and CBT therapy. So a lot of that did help me get by. And then I escaped and went to like a different sort of university. I did musical theatre, so it was very hands-on. It wasn't a lot of sit down, be quiet, you know, listen like school was. Um, And I think that that helped me. I always knew that I needed something different. So I I think I kind of, in a way, gave myself little outs and little loopholes to get around things. But when I was diagnosed with ADHD, the thing for me was, okay, stripping back, like stripping back what's me, 
what's dyslexia, what's dyspraxia, what's ADHD, because mm-hmm. ADHD is, is not is not all of me, right? It's I'm mm-hmm. Tash, and then these little things uh, like jigsaw puzzles or mm-hmm. however you think about it. So I was really learning about me, my strengths, my values, um, how I learn and things like that, really stripping back and then thinking, how can I use these to help me with my challenges? And I think for me, I wouldn't have, even with my other diagnosis, I don't think I would have had given myself the time to do that because this time the ADHD makes so much sense. It was like, you know, but with the dyslexia and dyspraxia when I was 16, I didn't there was there was still something missing so whatever I put in place didn't sustain for a very long time because I didn't strip back I didn't look at who I was and my strength and I didn't really see that until I was diagnosed with ADHD so for me there's many different things I've tried but nothing was sustainable until I got that ADHD diagnosis which is when I really started to go through different parts Okay. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. So there's people who are struggling to even decide if they should get a diagnosis and they're struggling to decide if their children should even get a diagnosis, right? Because of all the stigma that is around it. Right. I mean, I hear over and over again, I get direct messages, how people are picked on because they have ADHD, um, how parents, children are not getting the support that they need because I mean, because people don't believe ADHD is real. So some of them are wondering, should I even bother? What would your advice be? Number one, to an adult who needs, who, who's been living it for, with, you know, living with their situation for a while and are thinking I've been living with it for now. Why should I even bother getting the diagnosis? And then number two, for a parent that has a child that has ADHD or potentially has ADHD and are trying to decide if they even should get the the testing or not. Okay. So I work in Malaysia. So I work, I I actually do like kind of like a brief testing, like a school test Mm -hmm. for children. And then I go to a parents and recommend external assessments. And I don't say what they may or may not have. And so many parents here, especially like here, we're probably about 15 years behind America, right? So over here, this fear of this label, right? This fear of that taboo, that thing that could put their child behind or make it sense. But for me, it just depends on obviously person by person. Some people, like for me, I needed to know exactly what it was because it was like, it was kind of like a ghost of like, you know, like something unknown in your brain that never let me move forward enough to live a happy life or fulfilled life, you know, that fulfilled potential, you know, we always hear that, oh, you've got so much potential, you know, I never could see that because I didn't know the name, but for other people, some people don't need that label and that's okay. And I think it's really figuring out what you want and what you need. But what I say for a lot of my parents here, it's the recommendations to if you, okay, you've got a diagnosis, but then what you're going to do about it. For me, that what you're going to do about that, we call it recommendations, right? The recommendations for schools, for parents that you get from a kind of psychiatrist report is the key because yes, they may have ADHD, they may have ASD, they may have dyslexia, dyspraxia, but it's what do we need to put in place for that child? So that's what I say. I always say to parents, if you're worried about a diagnosis, think about you're going to get advice of what support will be put in place for your child because your child is struggling. And when sometimes when you do it like that, 
they're like, oh, okay. And then when the diagnosis comes through, then you can talk about the actual diagnosis. So for me, it's if you don't know what it is, how are you going to support your child? And you don't have to say like, so like I have people that come to me about work, you know, like, you know, do I say I've got ADHD at work? You know, do I say that? And what I found with my job is I just say what I need. So look, I really need this. Yes. I really, I, I yes. need this to be able to work. Is that okay? Can we come to an agreement? Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Then if I need to say I have ADHD, then that's fair enough. But a lot of people are very open. If you say what I need, this is what I need. This is how I work. Is that okay? Coming to that agreement. And it's the same thing. We need to just know what we need in order to put in place to support us, to be able to live a life. You know, it's that thing of going from A to B, you know, yeah. go, if you go A, Z, G H I P A B. Most people go A B, but we need to know the things that we can put us in place to get us to where we want to get to. So for me, a diagnosis for some people is really important, and that's fine. And for me, it was. But for other people, for me, the recommendations and and having what you need is far more greater. Mm. That is so true. So a couple of things, the part about just asking for what you need. Now, my current job, I am, I always tell people I am blessed because I could be open. Once I got my diagnosis, I shared it with my boss. But yeah. the part that I changed the most was not being afraid to ask for what I need. And then I changed my perception on something. So like, for example, I remember when my bosses wanted to have a weekly meeting and that actually bothered me because I felt like they were watching over me, right? I would tell them, number one, there's not much that changes every week. And I, I just felt like I was like, you know, and just captured or stuck. But then once I realized how my brain was really working and how I needed, number one, the accommodations, I needed the accountability, <laughs> right? Because when you are in a position like mine, you have so many projects happening at the same time and I tend to forget things. So I asked my boss, <laughs> this boss, I said, can we meet on a weekly basis? Because I need to stay up on what is going on because literally I will walk out of people's offices and forget what I'm supposed to do just because I'm going to the next meeting. So not being afraid to ask for accommodations but also being okay with doing things differently, things that might seem like, you know, your, your boss is controlling you just do things that are going to help you. It is okay. So, yeah. So I, I like that quite a bit. And the other thing for my children, for me, getting the diagnosis, everybody uh, to your point doesn't have to get a diagnosis, right? but it gives them a door. It gives them an opening when they get that diagnosis. And so many wonderful things have been put in place for my son and my daughter because they have that diagnosis. And so I am all about, it, it doesn't hurt to your point. You don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, right? It really is just a base to many things that you can build on strategies that you can build on accommodations that you, you know, there's just so many things you can do with the diagnosis. So I am all about getting it. I'm not all about saying you have to get it right. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just not, but 
there's a advantage, right? You got to get the diagnosis. No, I'm just not. But there's so many advantages of having it. Just like camp, um, my children were able to get into a special camp. My son was diagnosed first before my daughter. And the only reason why my daughter got in was because my son got in. And it's just a wonderful camp for people that have different diagnoses. They really work with them. They allowed them to be themselves. But again, it was because they had that diagnosis. So anyway, so yeah, it's just been really good for us. So is there anything that we forgot? Any last tips, tricks, anything that you want to say to the parents just to close things up? Yeah, so it's kind of figuring out, like I said, about stripping back. You know, strip about what exactly do you need, what exactly, you know, but looking at your strengths because there's so much focus on ADHD challenges. And there are so many challenges. I'm not going to lie and say that there's not. Every day we're living with ADHD, you know. Well, for me, I say it's a hot mess. You know, like I go through my days and still now after two years of going to coaching therapy, you know, being a coach, I still have days where I have to go back and think, oh my goodness, what is going on? <laughs> what is going on? And I think it really is about giving yourself permission to do things at your own way, learning how and what you need, you know, learning, you know, for instance, as you can see on the wall, I'm very visual. So my calendar cannot be this small book. I have this massive, I mean, it's massive. I've not put it up here for a reason. It's just behind me. This massive calendar. And this is just for my business. And then I have two other calendars because I like to compartmentalize my life. I, you know, learning exactly how you learn. So for instance, I need to take kinesthetic breaks because I have the hyper to the hate. I need to take kinesthetic breaks. We've been talking, I have therapy putty sat right here underneath. Mm -hmm. It's giving yourself permission to use your own strategies and build your own because we can look online, we can look on things, but it's really about looking how you learn, what you need and how you can best support yourself. But the thing is, if you don't give yourself permission to do those things, then no tips, tricks, strategies are going to work. Yeah. Because if you don't give yourself permission to work differently, we work, that's all it is, right? ADHD is just different. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean it's, you know, not, not one way is right or wrong. It's just, we just need different things and that's okay. And it's just finding those different things to support yourself and to support your kids, you know, giving your kid permission to have like visual things. Or I know someone, they learn through voice notes, giving themselves permission to record voice notes after class, you know, record classes, mm -hmm. you know, whatever you need to help support you do it. But it's about giving yourself permission to be able to do those things. I like that. And not being afraid. Again, I know I said this a little bit earlier. I think parents are afraid to ask for those accommodations, right? So they've already either given, they've given, they've, some have accepted it, are now supporting their children, giving permission in a way. I know a lot of it was, you know, self-permission, but they're also saying, okay, this is what my child need. And this is the support I know that they need. But a lot of people are afraid to have those conversations with the school yeah. and really push for it. You know, a lot of those, to your point earlier, a lot of people at work, you don't have to talk about it, but they're still not asking. So they've given that permission, but they still yeah. are not asking or pushing for it. Not all companies are supportive, unfortunately, right? And not all companies will say, 
oh my God, you have ADHD. This is what we can do for you, (laughs) right? Or why do you want to put those accommodations in place, right? They're just not always supportive. So for those who are trying and trying and trying to get those things that will help them, help them do their work better, help them do their schooling better, but are not getting that support, what would you tell them? So I'm not going to lie and say here and sit here and say it's easy. You know, people with ADHD, we don't like asking for help. And it, it could be the shame. It could be the not feeling like we deserve it. You know, not feeling like this, not feeling like that. But it's just really knowing where, what you're going into. So kind of going in with your eyes open. Okay. So kind of, you know, so for instance, if you're going into a school to ask for things, you know, going with, uh, I always remember you, Kini, when you came on mine, you know, you went in with like a folder of stuff. You'd already done all your research, things like that, right? Preparing yourself, preparing yourself for what they may ask, preparing yourself for to say, look, this is what I need. This is what my child needs. So having that kind of research, you know, having that research to support what you're saying, having what exactly what your child needs or what you think that they may need, right? Having exactly what you or your child may need and then going and thinking of all the possible outcomes because you could go in and be very surprised. Some people are, are a lot more open than you may think and you may think, oh, you know, my friend's school didn't give them support so they're not going to give me support and all you have to do is then ask and if we don't ask, then we have the, you know, kind of that we, we could miss out on getting that support. But then if we do ask, we could have that stigmatization of things. So I really think it is about kind of going with with your eyes open, doing your research. Are there any other people in the school or other people at the job that have, you know, accommodations that have neurodiversity? Speak to them. Speak to other people that have been through the process. So kind of speaking to other people, going in with your eyes open with research and then thinking exactly what you need rather than going in and saying, I've done it before where I've gone in and said, I have ADHD. And the guy goes, okay, so, and what? <laughs> You're like, okay. Like, that was a learning because I needed to say, I have ADHD. This is what I need. Rather than I have ADHD, come on then. You know, it's, right. it's that thing right. of using it as an explanation, right? Not an excuse. And it's that thing of it's an explanation, explaining exactly what you need, but going in with that research. And then if that doesn't work, then go and find people that can support you. I know so many people, I, myself, you know, for instance, that do ed- education advocacy. There are loads of people that can help you fight. It's not the end battle if you go in and they say no. Go and find people that can help back you up because at the end of the day, I know parents who want what's best for their child, adults want what's best for themselves. So you are entitled to these things and you should get them. And, but unfortunately... Not everybody is that open. Yeah. Yeah. So is there any books, YouTube channels, anything that has really helped you through the journey that you could recommend? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I'm going to say the first, the first one that everybody's read, Delivered to Destruction. <laughs> Driven to Destruction and then Delivered to, from Destruction. Yes. I mean, that was the first book I read. But for me, reading, I prefer podcasts and prefer like smaller clips because it's not so you know yeah hefty and like oh you know 40 pages to read but things like instagram you know instagram so many posts on there like yourself you know looking at podcasts you know i like listening to podcasts about people's stories 
So there's a really cool one in the UK called Extraordinary Brains. That's really mm. cool about people's stories and like ADHD rewired yours. And not just saying that because I'm here, honestly, yours, you know, attitude. They have so many free ones, don't they? That are specialists, you know, and then looking at charities and, um, you know, there's a really cool one in, in the UK called ADHD UK that I do a lot that I've been getting involved with, you know, ADA, Chad, looking at them, going to conferences, trying to find out things. But for me, the biggest thing is talking to other people that have ADHD. So about a year ago, or about, oh, sorry, time goes really fast, doesn't it? So about almost two years ago, I started an online support group because there wasn't any in my time zone. They're all in American time. So I started my own. And that for me has been one of the big, just talking to people that have ADHD, that have been through it. Not only it gives you validation, learn, but it also gives you that sense of community that you may have never had, not having to apologize to be yourself. Love that. And uh, last question, if they have any questions for you, how can people get a hold of you? Right, I wrote this down because <laughs> when people ask me, I'm always like, what's my email? What's my- <laughs> I understand. Uh, so I, I currently run my own ADHD life coaching business. It's going full time soon. Yay. So you can email me at indigohub.adhd at gmail.com or find me on any social media at indigohubadhd. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you can find me on there. And my website is www.indigo-hub.com. And anytime you have any questions, yeah, I'm always available to talk to people. Oh, Tasha, thank you. This was really wonderful. I do want to say one thing really quickly. So I didn't know your name for a while. So I thought your name was Indigo for all, <laughs> for a long time. And then <laughs> I saw Natasha on a form and then I saw your name somewhere else. And then it finally connected the dots. And I'm like, her name is Tasha. <laughs> like I had no clue. <laughs> I'm like all this time I'm thinking in your, my head, you were it was indigo anyways oh, <laughs> i know it's just one of those things anyway so it was wonderful thank you so much for coming on i absolutely loved what you shared and your expertise so i truly truly appreciate your time so thank you no thank you and thank you to your audience uh but on actually an honor to for the first time on the video. I hope it didn't do too bad, but also just an honor for what you're doing out there and just uh, so much love for ADHD love. Yeah. That, that, I, just, I didn't think of that. It just came. <laughs> that is too funny. All right, everyone have a wonderful day. Bye. Thank you for joining us on another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, please do not forget to leave a review. And join me as I talk with another exciting guest next week. Have a wonderful day.